I pray that you'll bless the discipleship time tonight as we come to uh, the lesson on the Holy Spirit, that you'll give us your uh, guidance, Lord, that you would help us to uh, have our hearts stirred and, and encouraged and strengthened. And Father, that our faith would be stronger as we leave here tonight than it was when we came in, that we can rest more fully in you. And Lord, what a joy it is to know that we can do that. We pray that you'll bless all that is said and done here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, let's take our books tonight, if you will. We're going to be on page 137 to start with, 137. And uh, how many of you were able to work on memorizing the verse for last week? Did anybody do that? Okay, one or two of us, three, maybe. Okay, let me encourage you folks, and I know we're busy. I know we're busy. Uh, And I'm not saying that you'll succeed at memorizing it, but we ought to put forth the effort. And let God do what He's going to do. If He allows it to go into the the file cabinet of our brains and allows us to store it there, then fine. But let's give Him let's let's give Him the full effort, shall we? And encourage Him in that if we can. Uh, all right, let's look on um, page one thirty seven. This week's lesson is on the Holy Spirit. Now we've already dealt partially with the Holy Spirit in two separate places. One was when we dealt with the idea of the Trinity that the Holy Spirit is equally God, as much as God uh, the Father is, and as much as God the Son is. I think sometimes we kind of get in our minds uh, from a human perspective, if you think of it in terms of authority or uh, amounts of power, that God the Father is the head, and God the Son is the next, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the low man on the totem pole. But the truth of the matter is they are all co-equal. They are all the same in their power and authority. And uh, the Holy Spirit is just as much God as any other uh, person of the Godhead. And uh, so we dealt with him there in the Trinity, and we also dealt with him when we dealt with the uh, idea of our uh, assurance of salvation and what happens when salvation uh, takes place, that he comes to live and reside in us. Uh, This week's lesson is going to be dedicated completely uh, to the Holy Spirit, the subject of the Holy Spirit. And we start off on page 137 by realizing that at the moment we're saved, uh, God himself comes to live within us uh, in in what we call our hearts, and we use that as kind of a generic term to uh, mean that part of us inside that that is our existence and our being and uh, gives us uh, direction and leadership in our consciences. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13 says, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise." But what does that mean for our lives on a daily basis, and how does the Holy Spirit work in our life? Is it mysterious and mystical, or is it real and practical? Uh, What do you think? (laughs) Mystical and and mysterious, or real and practical? Combination? Okay. Uh, I might buy that a little bit. There certainly are things we do not understand about God, certainly. But I believe that we far too often don't at all put him into the real and practical side of our lives. And I think you ought to have a vital role in that area. In this study, we'll see how the Holy Spirit works in your life, how you can cooperate with him, and the result of his work will be... <coughs> Excuse me. So let's look, first of all, at the way the Holy Spirit ministers to our hearts. Shortly, shortly before Jesus was crucified, he explained to his disciples that he would soon be leaving them, but that the Holy Spirit would take his place in their lives. We find that in John chapter 14 and verse number 16, where it says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you 
What are the next two words? Forever. Okay, we have him. Once saved, always saved. He's with us forever. <coughs> Excuse me. And we saw in lesson two, the Holy Spirit is God. He's part of the Trinity. And as we saw in lesson four, the Holy Spirit indwells our hearts. The moment we trust Christ as our Savior from, the point on, from that point on, He begins ministering to our hearts in tender and significant ways. So the first thing we find is He is the divine Comforter, and aren't we glad for that tonight? He brings comfort and peace where, uh, to be real frank with you, the lost do not understand. Uh, I've known people in my day, in, in, in my childhood especially, I met some folks that went through some just unbelievable heartache. Um, there was a family in our church, I remember as a teenager, who had two kids in our, um, in our school in fact, um, if you've seen the Lee's Famous Recipe chicken chain, that's one of the larger chicken chains in the nation now, there were two men that started that. One of them was a man by the name of uh, uh, Buckner, and uh, his wife and, and kids were members at our church. They, he was a partner in that business when they first started. <coughs> they were bringing, uh, the, the son was sick one morning, and she, he was bringing his daughter to school in a Volkswagen. Her name was Darcy. And she was uh, one year behind me in school. And uh, on the way to school, a drunk driver in a pickup truck hit him head on and killed the dad instantly and put the daughter in a full body cast for, I think it was six or eight months. And uh, just the unbelievable amount of surgeries and recovery she had to go through. And I remember thinking when all that happened, I remember coming home from school that day and the son, Jason, was over at her house. And I wondered why he was there. He was a couple years younger than I was. And my mom told me what had happened, and I just couldn't believe it. And to watch the sorrow of her as she went through that. And yet, I, I was amazed at the grace that she expressed in her life. And uh, the sweetness with which she went through probably one of the deepest and darkest trials of her life. And I think if we went around the room, we could all probably point to her or uh, recount a, a similar situation where... We've met someone who's gone through probably some of the darkest valleys of life and yet have come through it graciously. It doesn't mean there wasn't pain. It doesn't mean there wasn't sorrow. But God gave grace, didn't He? That's the Holy Spirit. The Comforter that brings peace that passeth all understanding. That reminds us of the promises of God. And is constantly there as a witness inside of us. Uh, it's amazing how many times you try to practice some of the principles like we're studying on the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes and the idea of being kind to your enemy and doing good to them. That's one of the hard ones to do, isn't it? And it's amazing to me how many times, uh, even in my own life, something will just get under my skin and rub me the wrong way. And, and I, just for a moment or two, I just really want to get that person back. And then I'm reminded, but God forgave me. And I have a hard time not forgiving somebody when I realize because I know what God forgave me of. And I know the price that was paid for my forgiveness. And I know what He did for me. And it makes it a lot, a lot harder to be angry at someone when they mistreat us, isn't it that way? What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. He's bringing it to remembrance. He's bringing it to mind. So He's the great comforter. Jesus referred to the Holy Spirit as the comforter four times in His discussion with the disciples. Before his crucifixion, John 14 and verse number 16, 
And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John 14, verse 26. Who's got that one? Brother Larry? Amen. All right. John chapter 15, verse 26. Brother David. Amen. All right. In John 16, verse 7. All right, Miss Sandy. All right. So Christians deal with heartaches and trials just like unbelievers do. Uh, nowhere in Scripture do we find that the Christian life is just going to be a piece of cake and no more problems. Contrary to what some people preach, though, today, uh, the Bible does not promise us that. But it does promise us that we're going to have a comforter that's going to take us through those times. Sometimes Christians even have additional trouble because they're Christians. <laughs> have you ever experienced that? You get into uh, some situation just because you're a Christian. It becomes a problem. And yet the Holy Spirit is there to comfort us. He reminds us of God's promises and assures us by His very presence in our lives that God has not left us alone. Man, aren't we glad about that? And He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I'm His own. The presence of God. Just as important as it is for us to come into His presence every day, I'm thankful that His presence runs around with us all day long. He's with us. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the ends of the earth. And uh, I love that. He guides us to truth. And this is another role that the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. He guides us in the area of truth. Without the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives, we would be left to navigate our own way through life's daily decisions and concerns on our own. If we listen to the Holy Spirit, however, He will often bring scriptures and biblical principles to mind that speak to the needs of our lives. Now, there's something in that last sentence that I think is critical for us to understand. If the Holy Spirit brings scriptures and biblical principles to mind, can we not assume from that statement that it is important and imperative that we be storing God's Word and Bible principles in our mind. Amen? We need to know it. We need to memorize it. We need to study it. I am ashamed that there are cults out there today that far excel and outdistance Christians in the area of studying what they believe and knowing what they believe. And they do it gladly and they do it willingly. And they do it for a false doctrine we do it for the truth. We have the truth. Amen? I mean, we do believe we have the truth. Amen? If we didn't, we'd shut the doors and go home. We have the truth. How much more then should we be studying? How much more then should we know it? And, uh, oh, the importance of it. Let me encourage you. I know, I know a lot of folks say, well, I'm just too old to memorize anymore. Try. Try. See what God will do. You may be surprised. God may allow something to stick in your brain that you thought, man, I never thought I'd memorize again. Try. Do you, do you believe that the Holy Spirit can enable us to memorize if we put the effort into it? Would you, would you believe that? Do you believe God can enable our minds 
I mean, is he not the great physician? Is he not able? Did he not create the brain? All right, then he can make it memorized, can't he? Absolutely. And so let's give it a try. Uh, I'm reminded when I read in James about our prayer life. One of the biggest failures of our prayer life is we don't pray. That's one of the biggest failures. It's not that we pray and don't receive. It's that we don't ask. And James says that. You have not because you ask not. (laughs) I think of that when it comes to memorization. We memorize not because we study not. (laughs) We don't try. If you don't try, you will succeed at failing every time. I promise you. Every single time. All right. So try. Try. Take your verse this week and put it on a 3 by 5 card and stick it on the bathroom mirror and read it every morning. Out loud. Carry it in a pocket. Put it on the refrigerator. Wherever you are the most. Some of you in your recliners. That's where you are all day. (laughs) Anyway. All right. Find a place. Put it there. Record it on your phone. If you don't know how to do that, ask Siri. She'll tell you. Record the verse on your phone and play it over and over again. It won't take but about 150 times, and you can do that in about an hour. And about 150 times, you'll be saying it in your sleep. And all of a sudden, you'll realize, hey, I just memorized a verse. All right, enough said on that. If he's going to recall it to our memory, if he's going to bring it to our memory, we've got to have it stored inside. John chapter 14, verse number 26. Brother Keith. Bring all things to our remembrance. All right? John chapter 16 and verse number 13. Jennifer? Okay, he's going to guide us in all truth. Part of his work in guiding us is in helping us to understand the Bible. Remember, the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. He's the one that authored it. And if he's the one that authored it, I think he knows what he meant when he wrote it. And I'd love, sometimes there are books I've read in, in years gone by uh, by some of the great classic writers. And I, I can't wait one day to get to heaven. And some of them, I believe, will be there. And to hear them uh, give the thoughts of what they were thinking when they were penning some of those words. And to know the heart of the author. And isn't it amazing as a Christian, we get the privilege of not only knowing the heart of the author as we read Scripture, but he lives inside of us. And he can guide us as we read it and as we study it. And he guides us and points out things in Scripture. Has, have there been times where you've read Scripture? Uh, maybe you've read the same passage in your lifetime a dozen or 20 or 40 times. And you didn't get anything. You, you kind of saw a little bit, but didn't get much out of it. And then one day you read it again. And the light bulb went on. You, you know what I'm talking about? That's the Holy Spirit. He's explaining to us. He's bringing to remembrance the truth that is found in His Word. And I'm thankful we have that. Amen? Alright, so uh, when you're confused about what the Bible means, remember, ask the author. What a novel idea. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who said, I don't understand this verse. Well, have you prayed about it? No. <laughs> That's where you start. That's where you start. And if, uh, if you need some help beyond that, uh, God, the Holy Spirit will guide us. Then you start looking at some dictionaries and other things, maybe ask some other Christians. But the Holy Spirit will guide us. That's the first place we go. 
And he will teach us in these things. So uh, he's going to help us study. All right, he strengthens us for service. So he's a comforter. He guides us in truth. He strengthens us for service. And this is what we call the Holy Spirit's power, having his strength upon our lives. In lesson 10, we're going to discover about the whole, that the Holy Spirit has specially and supernaturally. Do you see that word? Supernaturally. Equipped every believer to serve in the local church. That, that means this, folks. And listen, listen carefully. There may be some things that you and I look at and we say, it's not worth my effort because it's not going to succeed. It's beyond human ability. We are empowered, the Bible teaches, by the Holy Spirit of God. And His power is not an earthly or a man-made power. But it is a supernatural power. The Bible still says, with men this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. We don't operate in the, in the human realm when it comes to serving God. When it comes to accomplishing His work in this world, we do not work with human devices and with human energies and with human reasoning and with human power. We have a supernatural God living inside of us that empowers us and strengthens us to do His work, His way, with His power. The commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature was not something that was to be done historically throughout the time of man. But it was something that was to be accomplished in every generation. Each generation that's born into this world has a responsibility of spreading the gospel to the entire world in their generation. Amen. And some people say, Brother Greg, that is impossible. With man. With man. But with God, all things are possible. I know the world was a much smaller place then, but do you know that there was a time in the New Testament church where the Bible says these are they which have turned the world upside down. Their testimony, their message had gone to where every person in the known world had heard the gospel message. Is it possible? Not with man. Is it possible with God? All right, then why aren't we doing it? That's the next question that bothers me. That's the one that, that convicts my heart. When I look in the mirror and I see Greg Boer standing there every morning, my mindset is, if God has empowered us to do His work, His way, with His power, to accomplish these great deeds, why am I not doing it? Why am I not doing it? It's a sobering question, isn't it? It's one that, to be honest with you, ought to break our hearts as we look into it. Because He's promised us that He will strengthen us. And He will empower us to do His work. I could say a lot more about that. We'll save that for another time. But even with His equipping, we sometimes grow weary and faint. And some of our failures are strictly from weariness. The Holy Spirit renews our hope and gives us energy from within. I believe some of our failures are just simple selfishness. We're too consumed and wrapped up with what we want in our lives. And become egocentric. No matter how humble we may think ourselves to be. No matter how fine of a Christian we may look around and, and measure ourselves by other people we see. And we may say, I'm better than that. 
the truth of the matter is we're all very selfish people. And I, I don't mean that in a mean way. We're, we're, putting our, we're all in that same boat. We're selfish people. Romans chapter 15 and verse number 13. Who's got that one? Brother David? All right, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 16. Miss Sandy? Strengthened with his might by his spirit in the inner man. Or by his might within his spirit in the inner man. Um, it's amazing to me. There's a verse that is quoted so often. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. And we quote that verse and we stop there. And that's not the end of the verse. It's not the end of the verse. We quote that and we use that as the reason why God will do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. But then it goes on to say, according to the power that worketh in you. You want to see God do something exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, we better have the Holy Spirit's power on our lives. He better be working in us and through us. And by the way, I've known, I've read of men and I've known some men that I believe in my lifetime that have had God's hand on them in a unique way. And it's amazing to see how exceeding abundantly above all that that man could ask or think, God did something. But it was according to the power that worked in them. He empowers us to witness. One of the earliest desires of a new Christian is to share the good news of salvation with others but you cannot convince others by their own cleverness or persuasion to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we ought not try to do that. Uh, my sister called me. Uh, she called me a couple times today. She called me, I believe it was yesterday or day before yesterday. And uh, my youngest niece that uh, belongs to her, Riley, uh, I think she's five years old, five years old, maybe six. I think she's six. They're going to be here, Lord willing, tomorrow night. I am so excited. I can't stand it. I'm about to jump out of my skin. And I love my nieces and nephew and my sister. Not so much my brother-in-law. No, I love him too. <laughs> I love him too. But uh, sweet family, dear family. Lord willing, they'll be here Sunday and might even provide some special music, Miss Evelyn. I'm trying to talk them into doing a special for Sunday morning. And uh, But uh, my sister got on the phone the other day. She said, I tell you what Riley did the other day, so last Sunday. I said, no. She said she came out of Sunday school and she said she told me that she won her little, or led her little friend to the Lord Jesus Christ in Sunday school. And she said, I didn't think much about it because you know how little kids are sometimes. They talk about things and they don't really know. They, they've heard people talk about it. She said the mom of that little girl called her. Said, your daughter led my daughter to Christ this morning. Six years old. One of the first desires of the Christian life is to see others saved. Boy, it ought to burn in us. It ought to be something we drive for. It's something that ought to consume us. He empowers us to witness. And one of the great fears that I have as we I, I've been in, in places and I've gone and studied at places that have taught different things about winning people to Christ that I think were, from a human standpoint, 
very fleshly, very worldly. Tried to use cleverness and the persuasion of men. Paul uh, was mentioning one time. He said, "I've not to come. I've not come to you in the wisdom of man, uh, man's wisdom, but in the power of God, the power of the gospel." So I've sought to do nothing but to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. People don't need logic. They need God's Word. The older I get, the more I see this. When I was younger, I used to think, boy, if I could just argue my way into it so I could show them. Their, their... I used to think, boy, if I could just say, uh, and, and you know, I, forgive me for this. It, it, if it's, I, I don't mean this to be offensive. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to apologize for it. I don't have time to apologize for everything tonight. I'm just going to do it one time and forgive me for the rest of it. All right, if it, if it bothers you and offends you. I don't mean it to be incendiary. I really don't. And my heart, I think God knows my heart on this. It bothers me. And, and, and I've used this phrase before when I was younger. But it bothers me when we get to the place where we're trying to reason with a lost person. And we use this statement. If I'm wrong, what was the harm? But if you're wrong, what is that? It's man's reasoning. You're throwing out the possibility that I might be wrong. The truth of the matter is I know that I'm right. Because we have the truth. We begin to reason. People teach us, here's how you knock on the door. Here's how you stand. Here's the way you dress. Here's the way you ask the question. Here's the way you get the person involved in the conversation. And can I tell you this? I, I think there's, there's well-meaning well and sincere people. I believe their hearts really are on trying to win people to Christ. I don't, I don't doubt that. But why don't we start getting back to the thing where we say, if I could just get the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit on my life before I walk out there and talk to somebody. If I could spend time in my prayer closet until God shows up and God does something in my heart. And God strengthens me and empowers me. And then I go out and knock on the door and that person won't have any problem talking to me. I'll tell you this. The times that I have done that in my life have been some of the sweetest times of winning people to Christ. And the times that I have followed after man's wisdom. And the thing is, God's going to hold me accountable. How often did I fail miserably? People don't need to hear my logic and my reasoning. They need to hear the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that the Word of God is quick and powerful. Not the reasoning of man. This book is what will do the work. I was talking to somebody just recently and they said, How do you deal with somebody in this, this area where they're just hard-hearted? I said, Don't argue with them. Just give them Scripture. We were, not, we were not called to debate. We were called to declare the Word of God. And the Word of God is what does the work. Not our reasoning, not our logic. We've got to be careful that we understand that the Holy Spirit will empower us and will direct us and will guide us and will give us the ability and will work in the heart of the person we're speaking to, which is something you and I cannot do. I can't do a thing to change a man's heart. But the Holy Spirit sure can. 
Why is it that we think we can do God's work without Him? Why is it? I've wasted too many years in ministry when I was younger. Reading the books, going to the seminars, sitting in the conferences. Oh, I'm not saying I'm not saying you can't get some good stuff from those things, but I'm telling you this: when it comes to serving God, we need to put the power of the Holy Spirit paramount in our lives. It needs to be first. Acts chapter number one and verse number eight. Somebody want to read that one or quote it? Yes, ma'am. Okay, Acts chapter number 5, verse number 32. Brother Keith. All right. Every day the Holy Spirit is with you to minister to your heart in ways that maybe you're not even aware of. As you learn to recognize and rely on His work in your life, you will see how needful it is and learn to depend on it as you grow in your Christian life. I wonder often, do we depend on it? By the word depend, I mean like this. To where if God was not there, if God failed, if God moved, we would fall flat on our face. I remember years ago in our church, right after they did, built the new auditorium when I was a kid growing up, they had a, an area around the pulpit that had a little 18-inch banister that came up off the platform. And our pulpit uh, was a cross. It had a thing coming off of it and went down into the platform about three feet and anchored into the concrete underneath. My dad knew how the cross was built and how it was put in there because he was there when they built it. In fact, he helped put it in. I'll never forget watching him over the years try to explain our dependence upon God. And I'd watch him year after year as he would preach on messages that dealt with our absolute and utter dependence on him as he would walk over and he'd put both of his feet up on the banister and he would reach out and he'd lean over against the cross until all of his weight was on it. He said our dependence on God needs to be this way, that if this cross fails, or if that banister fails, I'm at a loss, I'm going down. Where is that kind of dependence on God? Do we have that kind of dependence? Do we go through our days saying, God, I must have you. I've got to do it. You need to be a part of my life, a part of this day, or I will fail. Versus how many times do we get up and put our clothes on and go out the door without even thinking about God? Plan our day, go through our day, struggle through it, muddle through it. At the end of the day, if it's a bad one, we finally come to God and say, Lord, I don't know what happened today. Sure we do. We didn't depend on Him. Are we dependent upon God in our lives? Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes the Christian life work. Have you ever considered how impossible the Christian life is? The truth of the matter is trying harder to be better on our own strength is an exercise in futility. But the Holy Spirit empowers 
and change in our lives from the inside out. That's what we call transformation. From the inside out. Let's see how God designed this to work. Scripture instructs us to be filled with the Spirit. The fullness of the Holy Spirit is not to be confused with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. As we've already seen, when we accept Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit began to dwell in us permanently. He says He will be with us forever. But now He desires to fill us up to control our actions and reactions. Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 18. Someone want to read or quote that one? Uh, Jennifer? This verse gives us a picture of a person who's drunk. The inebriated person is not in control of themselves. They're under the influence of another substance. Even so, the Holy Spirit wants us to daily yield to Him so that we would obey and allow Him to control us. To be in absolute yielded to the Holy Spirit. To be in the place where literally every aspect of every moment of every day is led and controlled by Him. Somebody told D.L. Moody years ago, the world has yet to see what a man wholly yielded to God can do. And he said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. And God certainly used him. Two different continents were shaken for the cause of Christ because of D.L. Moody. But you know, we sit here in 2018, and the truth of the matter is the world has yet to see what a man or a woman fully, fully yielded to God can do. Has yet to see it. The verse gives us a picture of the person who's drunk being controlled. And of course the Holy Spirit wants to control us daily. In every aspect to where we have absolute no will of our own. We want God's will in our lives. Scripture instructs us to walk in the Spirit. Growth in the Christian life takes place on the day, in the daily choices. As day by day we make the decision to walk in the Spirit. We're no longer under the law. Of sin and death. We've been delivered from that. The sad fact of the matter is. Many folks that have been delivered from the law of sin and death. Choose willingly. To continue walking under the law of sin and death. Instead of walking in the spirit. Growth in the Christian life takes place. In those daily choices. Galatians chapter number 5. And verse number 16. Who's got that one? Miss Joanne. Verse number 25 also, same chapter. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Bible tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, are not of the Father, but are of the world. We find that we're to walk in the Spirit, and as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We have battle in our life over sin. We're having struggle with getting victory over it. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. I've shared the illustration before of the old native Indian who got saved and said it felt like two dogs battling a white one in his heart that wanted to do right and the dark one in his heart that wanted to do wrong. And they're constantly fighting at each other. And the missionary asked him, which one's winning? And he said, the one I feed the most. And oh, what truth there is to that. The one we feed the most 
Are we walking in the Spirit? Do we saturate our hearts and our minds with the Word of God and our relationship and our walk with Him? Or do we just make God kind of a token thought of our day? Well, I'm a Christian. We give Him a tip of our hat as we go out the door in the morning. Or does He have and permeate every part of our lives? This matter of saying no to our fleshly impulses and saying yes to the Holy Spirit. Spirit, The Scripture warns us not to sin against the Spirit. Christians can grieve and quench the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Grieving the Holy Spirit takes place when we willfully sin. I heard a preacher say one time that no man falls into sin. The truth of the matter is uh, we don't ever just walk along minding our own business, following the Lord, enjoying our fellowship and walk with Him. And then all of a sudden stumble and look up and be like, oh, where'd that sin come from? No man falls into sin. We step willingly into it. We do it consciously. The Bible tells us that we grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin willingly. We know that, we're not, that we ought not to. And He convicts our hearts that we're doing wrong. And by the way, if there's no conviction of sin in our lives, you need to check on your salvation. I'm not trying to be ugly here. I'm trying to make sure that you're saved. I do it because we love you and we want to make sure every person is saved. But if there's no no conscience of sin, then the Holy Spirit is not doing His work in your heart. If there's no no, uh, remorse over the fact that you did something that displeased God, then there's something not quite right there. That needs to be checked. That needs to be fixed. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and 31. Brother Keith? Quenching the Holy Spirit takes place when we continually ignore or resist His promptings. When we do this, after a time, we will cease to hear His voice. We call it searing of the conscience. Uh, There was a businessman years ago in Florida when my dad first started the church, owned a car car dealership, had a lot of money and a lot of wealth. He had a, a lakefront house that was his vacation house about 30 minutes from our town. Had a brand new boat. He came to my dad's office. He attended our church and sat in our church and was under great conviction to be saved. He came to my dad's office one day needing to be saved and was weeping. My dad tried to lead him to the Lord and the man said, I I can't give up what all I have. He said, I know that if I get saved, God's going to ask me to give this all up. My dad begged and pleaded with him. He wouldn't get saved and under great conviction. Before he left the office, he gave my dad a hug around his neck, told him he loved him, and he said, you're one of the dearest friends I have in this world. He handed my dad the keys to his car dealership and said, if you ever need a car, he said, you just walk in. It doesn't matter if we're closed or open. You walk in, leave me a note on the desk. The keys are here. you got a key to the lockbox. Take any car you want on the lot. You ever want to go down to the house, take your family down there, here's the keys to the house, here's the key to the boat. My dad pleaded and begged with him. He sat in our church about another five or six weeks after that and week after week would clutch the back of the pews from my dad's head and would not come forward and would not get saved. One week he wasn't there and then two and then three and then four. Finally, he was gone from our church for a rather extended period of time and one night about 10, 11 o'clock at night, he called my dad weeping and said, can you come down to the car dealership? And he said, yes, I'll be right there. He went down there. 
And the man sat in the office and he said, I can't sleep anymore. He said, God is just dealing with me on this thing of being saved. And he said, I know I've got to be saved. And he wept and my dad for an hour persuaded and encouraged and prayed with him and did all that he could to get him to trust Christ as his Savior. And still the man said, I can't give it up. I can't. My dad thanked him and hugged his neck as he walked out the door that night weeping. The next time my dad saw him in town was about a week or so later and the man was so cold to my dad. From that day on, never one time set foot back in a church and as far as I know, died and went to hell. There comes a time when we reject the Holy Spirit so often and so much we cross a threshold there and the Holy Spirit no longer prompts, no longer calls. And the Bible calls it quenching the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19. Miss Sandy. There's nothing more frustrating than trying to live the Christian life in human strength, but God never asked us to do that. Instead, He comes alongside to guide us, invites us to surrender to Him, and fills us with His power to live godly lives. The fruit of the Spirit is evidence of His transformation in your life. The incredible blessing of the Spirit-filled life is that the Holy Spirit transforms your life from the inside. It begins to show in some very specific ways on the outside. His work shows up in many ways in our reference throughout the New Testament. But in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, we have a, a very... A uh, specific list of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. As these qualities known collectively as the fruit of the Spirit continue to develop in your life, they are evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work. Let's consider each of them briefly. The Holy Spirit produces love. I'm not going to take time to look up each of these references, but if you'll take time this week to look them up, 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. The Holy Spirit produces joy, John chapter 15 and verse number 11. The Holy Spirit produces peace, John chapter 16, verse number 33. The Holy Spirit produces long-suffering, long-suffering is the ability to suffer long with other people or situations. It's a patience or an endurance. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 3. The Holy Spirit produces gentleness. Boy, this is one that's lacking today. Gentleness. What a fruit of the Spirit. What a, what a characteristic of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. I was talking to a man last night, late last night. Uh, come to find out he was a member of another Baptist church here in town. We rejoiced together and spoke of the Lord for a few moments. And he shared with me, and it was his way of trying to witness to me, which was an amazing thing. I was actually at the veterinarian getting some things done with my dog, and uh, he wanted to bring up the, the Lord with me. And I was thrilled that he did. Sweet old man. He's probably mid-80s, I would think. And uh, he, said, he said, sir, let me tell you, he said, I used to have a terrible, terrible temper. Terrible temper. He said, I finally got to the point where I said, I can't do it. I can't control it. I tried. He said, so now I just let Jesus control it. 
boy, the one of the meekest, mild, mild-mannered fellows you ever met. And man, we stood there for a few moments. I told him I pastored out here, and he was rejoicing in that with me. And we spent some time just. Uh, they had people waiting in the in the lobby. We were in there talking about the Lord in the back. And uh, boy, I just enjoyed the time with it. But I thought, you know, part of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is He brings about gentleness. Kind of takes the temper away, doesn't He? The hot-headedness. The Holy Spirit produces goodness. Galatians 6.10, the Holy Spirit produces faith. Luke chapter 17 and verse 5. The Holy Spirit produces meekness. By the way, let me just say this, and, and the book says this, and I like the way he words it here. Meekness is not weakness. Don't, don't mistake the two. That's not what we're saying. It's strength under God's control. It's yielding our way for God's glory. doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and sit there and just continually let people tread on you. You, you certainly have to take measures to get out of that situation. But we do it with a, with a spirit that is controlled by God. We do it in such a way that it brings glory to God. Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 5 and Titus chapter 3 and verse number 2. The Holy Spirit produces temperance. Temperance is the opposite of excess. It is self-control, a disciplined life. 1 Corinthians 9, 23 and 24. Take a moment look back over the list above. You can work ten lifetimes and never, perf- never perfect that list. Or you can yield to the Holy Spirit each day. And let Him grow this fruit inside of you. Boy, what a statement. You can work ten lifetimes trying to produce this list. We've talked about it so much, trying to put things on outwardly. How we need to deal with them inwardly. Alright, make a definite commitment to yield every part of your life to Him. Daily reaffirm your commitment to yield to Him. And specifically, ask the Holy Spirit to develop areas of your life. All that we would follow after the Holy Spirit. Amen? I love the fact that He works in our lives. He doesn't give up on us. We uh, continue to seek for His leading, and we want what He wants. And uh, I'm convinced that the power that the Holy Spirit chooses to endue on us or to (coughs) place on us is directly proportional to our yieldedness to Him. And I don't know that... uh, I think it's just us getting out of the way and letting the Holy Spirit do what He wants to do is really what I think it is. And uh, we ought to seek for that every day. Well, let's stand. We'll be dismissed in a word of prayer.